2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 14, and we're going to read to 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, and we're going to read to 17. I'm going to invite your heart, I'm going to invite your mind, I'm going to invite your intention um, to the scripture. We read this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Apostle Paul writes this, look, for Christ's love compels us. Mm. For Christ's love compels us. You got to feel that. You got to feel his words there. <laughs> Look, because we are convinced. So they're compelled and they are convinced. Look, that one died for all. Wonder who. So Christ's love has compelled us because we are convinced that one died for all. Now look at this. Therefore, all have died. Interesting statement. Christ died, or one died for all. Therefore, all had died. But then he goes on to say, look, and he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. Over the past few weeks, can you tell how obsessed Paul is about the death and resurrection of Jesus? Can you see it? It's amazing when you read our scriptures how the death and the resurrection are not far from the apostles' mouths. They're not far from the apostles' pens. It's amazing all the stuff we talk about in today's world in Christianity, all the crazy arguments and fights and differences that we have. But when you read the scriptures, they're all about the death and they're all about the resurrection. I wonder if the reason why Christians in general struggle is because, look, the main thing is not the main thing anymore. Remember last week what happens when the gospel, what happens when the message of the cross and the empty tomb end up on the bottom shelf? So we got to bring what? We got to bring the, the death of Jesus back into all of our conversation. You got to bring the death of Jesus into all of your struggle. You have to bring the concept of how do I overcome? How do I push through? You got to bring the resurrection into that conversation. This is the power of the gospel. But, but the apostle Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power unto salvation. Look, the gospel is the thing that saved them and saves us, but it is the same thing that is continuing to save us now. So the gospel is not just the door. It is the door. It is the path. It is the journey. It is the bridge. It is the thing that brings us to the end. And then look what he says, the verse that we all know. Well, before that, it's verse 16, and then the one we all know. He goes, so from now on, look, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What is he saying? It's important that you understand this now. He's saying, from now on, we don't look at people. How do you look at people? How do you and I look at people? How, like, how do we judge people? What he's saying is this, from now on, we don't look at people, we don't judge people, look, from a worldly point of view. What does he mean? He means from a human point of view. What does he mean? He means that you don't look at them and just say, ah, rotten humans. That you don't look at, at, at people and just say, ah, senseless fools. He said you don't look at people and say, ah, weak jars of clay. He says, no, you don't look at them as just mere humans. Now look at the statement that he says. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He even says there was a point when the world was looking at Jesus and just saying, ah, mere human, just another guy. And he says, no, we know and we do not look at Christ as just some mere human anymore. Why? Because of the resurrection. 
Because Jesus rose from the dead, you got to be fool to think that he's just some ordinary guy or some worthless guy or that you just see his humanity and just say, ah, just another jar of clay like all of us. So he's saying this. The point is, we don't look at each other that way. We even did that with Christ. We just thought, look to the person next to you. I wonder how we actually look at each other. Now, if you know someone, you might be filled with sentiment like, oh, that's my wife, that's my cousin. But I'm saying on a human level, how do we look at humans? Fragile. Look, evil. Destined for doom. But Christ says, but Paul says, no. We once used to look at Jesus in a very human way, but we don't any longer. So look, so we're not going to look at each other as just humans. Now, now the verse that we all know. Now the verse that we all know, and now the verse. This is one that might be on your fridge, it might be in your Bible, might be highlighted, you got a screenshot of it. But, but understanding the Apostle Paul's train of thought with it, now look what he says. Therefore, if, if, if anyone, look, any one of those mere humans, any one of those fragile jars of clay, any one of those doomed beings, look, therefore, if any one of those are in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Look how profound that is. Most of the time, when you and I read that verse, it's just all about me being a new creation. But what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand, no, this is true of all of us. How are you looking at the rest of the world? If they come into Christ, they too are the new creation. Now look at your neighbor. If they're in Christ, they're a new creation. Not just you. You're just not the new creation that Paul's. <laughs> you're cool, but not that cool. Let's just say it like this. We're all cool then. We're all cool because if anyone, like even the people we count out, if that person comes into Christ, they're a new creation. <laughs> Look, sometimes all the people that we don't like, if they come into Christ, they're a new creation. So when you look at them, you can't look at them from that worldly point of view. But you don't know my past. You don't, you, don't know, you don't know my mother, but if she comes to Christ, you don't know my husband. Keep praying for your husband because if he comes to Christ, you don't know the coworker, but if they come to Christ, God, look at this sick world, but if they come to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And so Paul says this, he says new creation. That's only possible because of a resurrection. It's only possible because of a resurrection. And, and what Paul's desire is for these people, because you and I, were used to opening up our Bibles, okay, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, most of the time we see that as letters. They, they, they are letters, or we just see them as books. They are books, but you need to understand that the Corinthians are real people, okay? So we're in, we're in a second letter written to real people, and Paul is trying to get these real people, these first early, this first century church He's trying to get them to understand, not to forget the message of the cross, don't forget the resurrection, because it's all in there. Look, for them, not just to know of a message, not just to hear about a resurrection, but that resurrection is a reality of life. And you know what? This is God's desire for you. Not that we just go to church, but that we feel Walk, live, think, breathe, live in a resurrection. Now, here's a real question. How many people are living that? How many people are living that since they believed? How many of us feel? We know what it says, I'm a new creation. How many of you actually live as a new creation? How many of us actually have peace? of a new creation? How many of us have calm of a new creation? 
How many of us have relationships as a new creation? Now only you can answer those questions for yourself. The Apostle Paul would say to us, like he said to the Corinthian churches, he would plead with them. He begs them. He begs them to let the Spirit of God really come into their hearts so that they could live what they professed. Resurrection. This is God's desire for us, Dwelling Place Church, you who are in here. The desire for God is that you are living in a resurrection. Not know about one, not just talk about one, but that you're experiencing a resurrection. Amen? My title, tell it to the neighbor and then you could be seated. Um, it's from the inside out. From the inside out. From the inside out. From the inside out. And you may be seated. From the inside out. From the inside out. So we've been on this journey since Easter under the theme jars of clay. And now that we've entered into more of like a, a series about it, there's a subtitle that we're bringing into the theme of jars of clay, which is resurrection as a way of life. And you might have noticed if you've been journeying with us, we've been in this book of the Corinthians, and we've actually been jumping back and forth in between the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to these real people, real people who had received the message of Christ. The Apostle Paul gave of his time, gave of his love, and he, he, he shared the gospel message. We actually learned in the letters that it was not only the Apostle Paul who came to these people and shared the message and spoke to them about a new life in Christ and about the power of the blood and for them to look, live and experience a new life. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul, but we learned that there was another gentleman named Apollos, and it also seems to be that the Apostle Peter actually went and also, look, gave into their lives and poured into them and, and taught them. One of the instructions from Jesus to the, to the disciples before he ascended was this, and you might remember this from Matthew chapter 28. He said to go into the world, right? making disciples of the nation, baptizing them in, 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 in his name. But he also instructed this, and teaching, teaching those same people to observe the things that he had shared with them. And so the, the Gospel of John actually tells us this, too. It ends kind of, it, it ends that if all the things that Jesus had done had been recorded, we, we wouldn't have enough books to contain all of the things that the Lord Jesus had done when he was on this earth. And I'm sure that is inclusive, not just of things that he did, but also things that he said, his words of life, his words of wisdom, the revelation that he was bringing to the people. The Apostle John says, we wouldn't have enough. We can, there's not enough storage. There's not enough books in this world to, to, to capture everything. So now, if that means that Jesus had so much work done, if that means Jesus had so much word said, right, and then the instruction was for his apostles to go and, yes, share the gospel message, but then to teach all of that and to share all of that, oh, wow, there was so much work to be done with people who came to Christ. There was so much to learn. There was so much to learn. There was so much testimony of what, what took place in the life of Jesus Look, so that their faith could be strengthened, but look, so that their minds could mature, so that they could look, they could grow. Why? So that they could live in the resurrection as new creations because of the faith that they have. This is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for you, desire for you that you are living in a resurrection. You're living in a resurrection. You're living in a resurrection. And this is what he wants the Corinthians to understand. But what we read was this. He said something very, very interesting. And I try to highlight it for us. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he talked about the love of Christ, right? Compelling, compelling them. And 
He spoke about how he's convinced. But what was he convinced of? He says this, I'm convinced that one died for all. And he is speaking about Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, he goes, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ died for all, therefore all died. Wait a minute. He just sentenced everyone to death. <laughs> He's like, Christ died. We all died. Wait a minute. I thought, look, I thought Christ died and I get to live. Well, that is true. That is true. But the Apostle Paul reveals something very, very important. He knows something about this Corinthian church. He's done life with them. He's done work with them. He shared with them. He spent time with them. He knows their ups and he knows their downs. He knows where they have faith. He knows where they lack faith. He knows the things that they're doing right that he could say, good job, keep doing that. And he knows where he needs to rebuke them. And what does he know about them? He knows this about them. He knows that they have received the message of Jesus Christ, just like you and I. But he also knows that many of them, in many ways, are not living in the resurrection. He knows this. He knows this, look, by their behavior. He knows this by their words. He knows this by their tendencies. You know what reveals to him that they're not living in the resurrection? All their divisions that they have. Now, here's the funny thing. You and I today could be like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord God for Jesus and the cross. Thank God for the blood that washes me. You know, thank God for the, for the, for the empty tomb. And we, and we can say and we can make the acknowledgement that we're aware of the great, you know, sacrifice of his son. And, yes, we can acknowledge that he's raised. But wait a minute. There's something wrong if the reality of our lives haven't been affected by that which we profess. And he knows this about the Corinthian church. He knows that they're not living in the reality of resurrection. Look, he knows that they still trust their own knowledge. Look, he knows that there's divisions among them. He knows that they're gossiping and talking about each other. He, look, he knows that they're divisive. He knows that some of them you know, are, 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 are taking pride in certain leaders and not taking pride in the other leaders. He knows that they're missing the point that, look, that all the leaders that have come, including himself, including Apollos, including Cephas, including Peter, they're missing the point that all of them are co-laborers for God's kingdom. And they're over here picking favorites. Look, you know what he also knows? He knows the dirty secrets that are in their community. He knows that there's one of them, this young man, who's having sexual relations with his father's wife. And he brings it up in the letter. He brings it up. And he says, there's, you mean to tell me that there's no one in this church? There's no one else here. With all that wisdom that you do have, there's no one here that can judge and handle this matter here? So he knows they have a profession of the cross look, and a profession of the resurrection, but he knows that the lives that they're living are falling far short from what it means to be a new creation. And then he says this. He says, Christ's love compels us. He goes, and I'm convinced that one died for all, and then he drops this bomb, and we all have died. One died for all, and we all have died. And then he goes on to say, and since he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so now he's getting at the heart of their problem. He's telling them this, you guys missed something when I preached this gospel to you. I spoke about Christ's blood being shed for the forgiveness of your sin, and I talked to you about Christ dying, and I talked to you about Christ coming out of the tomb, resurrecting in his glory, right? The glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You know, you know about this, but you missed something. When Christ died, you were supposed to die. Because if you die when Christ dies, then you can live 
how you're supposed to live. And so here's the thing. If we only think of Christ dying and not that we are supposed to die, we will never, I will never, you will never know what it means to be a new creation and live a life of resurrection. And so look, they understand Christ dying, they understand Christ resurrecting, but they fail to know that they're supposed to die in order for them to resurrect too. Church, if you didn't know this, when Christ died, we died with him. What does that mean? What does that mean? I thought Christ died so I didn't have to die. (laughs) Well, he physically died, so you physically don't have to be punished. But when Christ died, there was something that was supposed to die on the inside of us. The Apostle Paul later describes this in other letters as, look, your old self, your old man. When we accept Jesus Christ, we're supposed to present our old self to him. We're supposed to present our old tendencies to him. We're supposed to present, look, when, when, I'm, when I'm hearing the gospel and when you're hearing the gospel, and you say, wow, that's a beautiful message and you feel it. Wow, someone would die for me. We need to understand this, that when we're accepting that message, we have to surrender ourselves to him. We have to, we have to come into the understanding like, oh, he's, why is he dying for me in the first place? That's the question. Why is he dying for me in the first place? It's because our minds are corrupt. Look, our thoughts are wicked. Our actions are terrible. We impose harm on others and we harm ourselves. Look, we think we have wisdom, but all of our actions in the end lead to destruction. We destroy people around us and we destroy ourselves. Look, we think we're satisfying certain sensations, but in the end, when you just let them play out, they cause harm to yourself and they cause harm to others. Many of us think that we're living, but each day we're actually dying. And so the reason why Christ died for us is because of, look, the Bible describes it as this, our unrighteousness. Now, I know that's a religious word, but for our wickedness, for the evil. And so look, so, so Christ died so that we could die. What death is Paul referring to? He's talking about death of this unrighteous, this worldly mind, this evil heart. You have, we have to be willing, look, to give ourselves to God and say, God, you can crucify this old man. The scriptures are all about this. The New Testament scriptures are all about, look, this dying to this old man. Where do they get it from? Where do they get it from? Do you think the apostle Paul made that up? When Peter is writing later on, you think he made that up? When the other writers are writing, you think they made that up on their own? No, remember what's the instruction. Yes, go into the end of the world and preach the gospel message, but what? Teach them everything that the Lord Jesus himself had taught. And so where did these New Testament writers, where did the apostle Paul get That's something on the inside of us, this old person, we have to give this over to the Lord so that it could die. Did he make that up? No, he's not making this up. What the apostle Paul is trying to tell him, there's some nasty stuff on the inside of you. You might be saying, well, Paul, who are you to tell me that there's nasty things on the inside of me? Well, you know what all Paul and all the apostles can do? They can go back to the words of Jesus. You know what Jesus said? You know what Jesus said? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus does this. He says this. There's this moment where Jesus' disciples, right, get criticized. You could say they get rebuked by scribes and Pharisees. Well, who are scribes and Pharisees? They are part of the religious leaders. They have high positions. They are the representative for the Jewish people in their worship with God. They are the mediators. They are the religious figures. And they criticize Jesus' disciples and says, how come your disciples do not follow The traditions, the traditions that tell us this, that before you eat, wash your hands. So your your, your disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. This is not good. This is going to make them unclean. You're breaking the traditions. You know what Jesus does? He turns around and says, you hypocrites. (laughs) 
He turns around, he says, you hypocrites. And then he, he quotes to them the prophet Isaiah. He says, the, Isaiah the prophet was right. He says, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He says, you worship me in, in vain. And their teachings are merely human rules. <laughs> he said, Isaiah was right. He basically said that the what the words that Isaiah said back then, hundreds of years ago, are about you guys. Can you imagine the religious leaders getting rebuked now in front of Jesus? He says, you're saying that my disciples are breaking your traditions? He says, you know what? You guys are breaking the commandment on, of God for the sake of your traditions. And he calls them out. And then he gives them a teaching. He gives them a really profound teaching. Because what the, what, 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 what the Pharisees and the scribes are saying is, before you guys go and you eat, he's like, you have to wash your hands. If not, then you're defiled. Now, I think in terms of regular hygiene, sure. <laughs> I would encourage you to wash your hands before you eat. You know, let's just wash your hands, bro. <laughs> like the generation we live right now, you know, like, put on a mask. You sick? Stay away. Praise God. I love you. I pray for you from my house. Don't come leaking around me, <laughs> you know, like. So, yeah, in, in one sense, on a natural level, look, yeah, on the human level, you understand that. But what the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to imply is that on a deeper level, that now they're unclean. It's not just physically that the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to tell Jesus' disciples that, you know, oh, they didn't wash their hands, that's kind of gross, you should, you know, have better hygiene. They're trying to tell them that they're breaking their traditions and, and, and they're defiling themselves by doing that. And so not just their hands are dirty, but there's something dirty about them because they didn't follow the tradition. And Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites because you guys have all these traditions, but you're not honoring the real commandments of God. And then Jesus says, let me, let me, let me teach you guys something. In, in Matthew 15, verse 10, he says this, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. It might not be sanitary if your hands are dirty, and then you pick up some piece of meat or some bread. It might not be, but he says, that doesn't, def look, that doesn't defile you. And the way the Pharisees are trying to say his disciples are defiled now because they're not honoring their traditions. He says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Then he says this, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And now he's got everyone's attention. What you mean? In verse 17, he goes on to say, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? He's just telling them, in context of, Regular food, you know, anything you eat is just going to come out. That's not what's going to defile you. He goes, look, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from what? From their heart. And he says, these things defile them. Now, this is profound because he says, you want to know what's really on the inside of someone? Just pay attention to what's coming out of their mouth. Just, just be a little nosy. <laughs> and hear what people are really saying. What Jesus is also trying to there's, there's one thing to, to say something publicly, but Jesus is almost hinting that what are they really saying privately? Like, because anyone can say anything in, right, in, in the spotlight. But if you want to know what's really down on the inside of someone, you want to know what someone's really thinking, just start having some, com have real conversations with people. You want to know if someone really loves the Lord, just get to know them. Just have conversations. Hear what they say in certain situations. And then what Jesus is saying, then what Jesus, he's saying, so what's on the end that then comes out that's what's defiling them. And then he goes on to give some examples. He says here, for, for out of the heart 
come evil thoughts. So what he's also saying, too, some of those things may never be verbalized. They're just a thought. But it's defiling. He goes, and these defile them. From out of the heart, evil thoughts. And now then he's going to list some actions. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. But when you look at it, that is interesting because then he starts to, he starts to then describe actions, but he says they begin with the evil thoughts. So, so the thoughts that are wicked, the heart that is wicked is then what then brings into manifestation all these actions. So, so what we see on the outside is just an indication of what's really happening on the inside. He goes, these are with defiled person, but eating with unwashed hands did not defile them. And he leaves them with this incredible truth. Now, the Pharisees were someone in front of the people. They looked beautiful. The Pharisees looked beautiful in front of the followers, in front of the religious community. And so now Jesus says, he says, you guys are hypocrites. You guys honor me with your mouth. That's something that people would be able to hear. He goes, but your heart is so far from me. Jesus is telling them on the outside, there's this sense of spirituality, and there's this sense of closeness with God, and there's this sense of being right before God. He goes, but on the inside, <laughs> he's like, I see what people don't see. And he goes, this, this is not, this is not a new creation. This is, this is not, this is not resurrection. You know what he, later on, he would go, he would just let it all out in Matthew chapter 23. Just, I invite you to read Matthew 23 and see Jesus' position. It's a chapter dedicated to rebuke against the religious leaders, these, these Pharisees, these scribes. He begins to tell them that, that they're not going to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because yes, on the outside, there's an appearance that they have resurrection, but on the inside, no, it's death. Isn't that crazy to have an appearance of life, but on the inside be dead? That's not, that's not real new creation. And this is what Paul, Paul does not want that to happen to the Corinthian church. Paul later on does not want the Corinthian church to be like the Pharisees who look, who have an appearance of a new creation, but don't really live one. And this is why he's telling them, when Christ died, we all died. Something needs to die in us in order for us to have a new creation. Say, well, Christ died, so therefore I have a resurrection. No, Christ died, therefore we die. Then we have a resurrection. In, in verses 25 to 20, I just want to read you some of the stuff. Jesus is buck. He's crazy. Jesus is not. Like, he says, woe to you, look, teachers of the law, Pharisees. Now, that doesn't translate well for us to catch, but imagine this. Woe to you, pastors. Woe to you, deacons. Woe to you, team seven leaders. <laughs> That's like, whoa, there's a rebuke against the religious leaders? Yes, woe to you, teachers of the law. Woe to you, Pharisees. You hypocrites. Look what he literally, he says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside they are full of greed and indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs, tombstones which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so Jesus is saying, on the outside, there's this appearance of life, 
but it's religious. And, and there's a lot of darkness on the inside. This is not resurrection. He can see the darkness and the death inside. <laughs> Clean on the outside. Dark on the inside. He says, look, <laughs> he, he, puts their, he puts their dirty laundry out in the open. <laughs> he's, this is what he's... <laughs> Beautiful. He says, you know what's on the inside of you guys? Darkness, death, greed. When he was talking about them, he says, the things you do are just to get receive praise. He says, you go and you convert people, but when you convert them, you make them twice a child of hell. He says, you guys ain't entering the kingdom of God. He says, you don't let others enter the kingdom of heaven, and you guys are not going in either. He's like, I know what's inside your jar. And so he gives them a, this very strong rebuke. And you're wondering, like, wow. The reason is because they were the leader. They were the representative of Israel that was supposed to bring the people, look, to the heart of worship, back to Yahweh God. They were supposed to bring the people to learn who their creator was and bring them into obedience and to the commandments of God, but they didn't because inside. And I believe Paul learned from these great lessons. And in many ways, the Corinthian church, they're not the leader. They're the believer. But what Paul doesn't want to happen to them is what happened to the Pharisees. And he says, when, when Christ died, we all died. And we're all supposed to be this new creation in Christ, but they're not living it. And so what Paul starts, you know what Paul noticed? That on the inside of them, there was darkness too. And you saw the Pharisees who were religious, but darkness. You had the Corinthian church, and Paul was able to see they're not living the resurrection. They received the message of the gospel. They heard about the empty tomb. But he knew what was on the inside of them. Well, you might say, well, how did, how did the apostle Paul know what was on the inside of them? Well, in his first letter, he's, he says, you guys, you guys are writing yourself out here. <laughs> what did Jesus say? How do you know what's on the inside of the person? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. That's what, what, that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul, then later to the Corinthian church, he says, I know there's darkness on the inside of you because you guys are giving yourself away. How, how, how are they giving themselves away? It's in their actions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he says this, and we have this slide for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, so brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as, look, people of the flesh, or some of your translation might say carnal. Look, he acknowledges that they're brothers and sisters. He says, but I couldn't even talk to you like a spiritual brother or sister. Look, but instead as people of the flesh, look, infants in Christ. And when he says infants, he's not trying to, for you to get a picture of a beautiful baby, like we got beautiful babies around here. Well, he's, he's using infants in Christ, but he's trying to talk about their immaturity in Christ. He goes, look, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. And in one sense, yes, when, when, when you first come in as a new believer, a, a, a baby, an infant, you do give milk, and it's, it's good for them. And so, yes, when he first came and he witnessed to them, yes, they had to receive milk. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. In fact, you're still not ready, and this is a problem because the reality is, they're not infants anymore. They're not, they're not babes anymore. He's trying to tell them at this point, there should be some, some sense of growth. There should be, look, there should be some sense that you're living in the resurrection. But the problem is even now, you're not ready. In fact, you're still not ready. 
Look, for you are still influenced by what? By the flesh. For since there is still what? There's jealousy and dissension among you. Are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? What's unregenerate people? He's like, you're behaving like you have not been reformed. You're behaving like you're not reborn. Look, you're behaving like you're unrepentful. So for this Corinthian church, Jesus' words were true. He said, you want to know what's in a person? See what comes out of their mouth, but ultimately see what, what they do in action. Their actions are only revealing the darkness that's in their heart. And he says, I know that you guys are still babies and infants because the jealousies and the dissensions that are among you. And look, he says, this is the life of someone who is not reborn. This is the life of someone who is unregenerate. And so this is what's so, is that they have a profession of faith. They absolutely do. He calls them brothers and sisters. But at the same time, he's saying, but you're not spiritual brothers and sisters. You're carnal. You're carnal. And he, and he wants to call them. And so in that carnality, they cannot experience the resurrection. This is what he's trying to get at. Some of us come to Christ, and we haven't surrendered this old mind to the Lord. We haven't surrendered this old person to the Lord. And so we, 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 we accept Christ, and that feels good, and that feels right, and it is, feels good, and it, and it is right. But we haven't surrendered this person, look, to die when Christ died. Remember he said, Christ died for all, we all have died. Now, Paul is saying that knowing that they, they didn't. They're allowing this old person to live on the inside of them, and that's why he had told them. So now, the person who Christ died for, look, should no longer live for themselves. They, they're supposed to live for the one who died for them. And so Christ died so that, yes, this old person, this old way of being could die. Because if not, then he knows they're only fooling themselves. He knows they're only fooling themselves. There's no way that they have all of this on the inside of them and they actually feel a resurrection of life. So many of us come to Christ, we don't surrender that person over, and we just continue with our own mindset. We continue trusting in our own wisdom. We, we do all decision-making for ourselves. Look, we, we, we keep our pride. Look, we accept Christ, but keep our pride. And then, and then we pretend we feel good about that. But let me tell you, when, 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 you, when we keep our own pride, then we're left to protect ourselves, right? We're left to protect our reputation when we're filled with pride. Look, when, we, when we're keeping our pride, sometimes... We, we prove to be wrong, but then we have to argue that we're right because then that affects our pride. Ever met someone like that? They're wrong, but they're so prideful, they got to keep the image that they're right, and then they're going to argue from a different angle, and everyone's looking at them like, you fool. We all know that you're wrong right now. But we'll just play along with the game that you're right. So look, so you could feel better about yourself. <laughs> and then you leave and you're like, got through that one. But you know that's not life. People have hurt us in the past and it's like, well, they hurt me. And then you hold, we hold on to that. And then when people try to talk to us, say, you, you got to give that over to the Lord. You know, you got to forgive your brother or sister. It's like, no, I'm not. And you want to hold on to the right because of the offense. And like, no one's going to tell me I have to because none of you know the pain that it caused. And look, you, you hold on to that resentment. 
And then everyone's trying to talk to you like, no, no. And then you, for a second, for forever, you're showing people that you're still in control. And it's like, yeah, 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 see. And, but when they walk away, you know how much it hurts you to hold on to that. <laughs> so look at this. We hold on to our pride. We hold on to our unforgiveness and our unresentment. And, and we're holding on to it and we're pretending to people that we're living. And we know deep down inside that doesn't feel like life. Then some of us, we accept the message of Christ, and this is true for everyone who would believe. The Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us. That is the treasure in the jar of clay. That is the treasure in your jar of clay. The Apostle Paul said, this is, like, this is the deposit on the guarantee of your salvation and for what's to come. It is a treasure that the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you. So you know what happens when you receive Christ? The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. Wow, sometimes you're letting this thing, we let this thing just to kind of stay in there. The Apostle Paul would tell the Romans, man, like, in the flesh dwells no good thing, and, 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 and the flesh is at war with that of the spirit, and the spirit's at war with that thing of the flesh, and you feel this wrestling inside. And so many of us come to Christ, but then we want to keep, hold on to all the sexual immorality and the lusts and the desires, and then we want to practice them. And so what many of us do, we accept Christ, but we stay in those things. They just become more private, more hidden. Maybe if you were a little bit more out there, a little bit more loose. Some of us just come to Christ, get into church, like, oh, I can't let, you know. And then you just kind of just cover that up, but you're still living in it. And look, you might have the joys and the satisfactions of those moments in them, but then what's happening when those moments are over? The guilt and the shame. Now, when we're practicing them, we're like, yeah, I'm having the life that I want to have. But then we know that's not even life anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us convicting us. And so these were the big issues, some of the big issues that the Corinthian church were having. The Apostle Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to them. In verse 9, he would tell them this, or do you not know that the wrongdoers, some of your translations will say the unrighteous. He says, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not deceive, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. What does he mean by sexually immoral? He's talking about those who are having sexual relations outside of marriage. He's talking about the promiscuous. He goes on to say, nor idolaters. That was a huge culture of, the Corinth, of, 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 of Corinth itself. There were temples everywhere. There were idols everywhere. There were prostitutes, male and female, at these temples that were fused in with their worship. And there were even some participating who had come to the faith in this. And so he's trying to tell them, look, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, look, nor adulterers, what is adultery? That's when two people are in covenant relationship, and then you come outside of that covenant relationship of marriage and have relations with others outside. Look, he says, nor men who have sex with men. Here he's touching on the themes of homosexuality. This would be inclusive of women as well. Look, he, then he would go on to say, nor thieves. Thieves, people who steal from one another. Look, all of this matters. The sexually immoral, the adulterous, homosexual, thieves, don't think thieves you're going to get away out of this and say, oh, just pin it on the adulterers and, and hide in the shadow of the adulterers. Don't think you're going to hide, you know, hide your greed in the shadow of homosexuals. No, no. Look, nor thieves, nor the greedy. The greed. Look, nor drunkards, nor slanderers nor swindlers, <laughs> he says, will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, and that is what some of you were. He's like, but you were washed and sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how? By the Spirit of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me right now. Now, this is so... <laughs> I would say this is great wisdom of Paul. How he's actually speaking to the Corinthian church. This is great wisdom. 
because he's honest with them to the point that he will tell them, I can't talk to you on a spiritual level because you guys are carnal. And the reason why they're carnal is because their actions are revealing. Like, he doesn't have to guess. It doesn't even take that much discernment. He can tell by what's coming out of their mouth. He can tell what's coming out of their actions that they're not spiritual, but they're carnal. But something that the Apostle Paul does in his wisdom is that he doesn't tell them that they're not saved. Did everyone get that? No, I'm going to go back. I feel like there was big distraction for like five minutes. <laughs> the Apostle Paul uses wisdom when he's speaking to them. Wisdom is, is profound when dealing with people in churches. He, he, he begins his first letter in Corinthians by telling them, I couldn't speak to you on that spiritual level. I couldn't speak to you like you were regenerated. I couldn't speak to you like the new creation. Because why? Because you're not. You're actually, you're carnal. But in all their carnality, in all their humanity, he doesn't say, so you're not truly saved. He doesn't say, so you're not a real believer. You know, he doesn't say that in his wisdom, while he knows that they're carnal and they're not spiritual, he doesn't strip them from the salvation and the hope that is in their salvation. And so today, maybe you might feel in really... <laughs> Some of these me messages like this, right, they could be convicting. When we, like, because no one really knows what's in, our, in, in, in your heart. But the purpose of reading these scriptures is for us to search our hearts. To search our hearts. Is there anything in there that looks like this? Now, it's important. Why it's important that we continue to read the scriptures? Because the scriptures will list other things that are sometimes in the hearts of, look, of those who profess Christ. But the Apostle Paul, in his wisdom, does not strip that they're not Christians anymore. What does he do? He tries to call them into the new creation that they were always meant to be. He, look, he judges them, but he doesn't condemn them. He judges them, but he doesn't condemn them. Look, he rebukes them, but he doesn't condemn them. Church, you have to be okay with being rebuked. Church, you have to be okay with being judged. This side of the church, everyone look at me. You have to be okay with being rebuked. Can, now, real, real question, not, not from me, like I'm going to come around, I'm trying to rebuke all of you, but I want you to, I want you to hear the Spirit of God. As you look at me, I want you to hear the Spirit of God. Can he rebuke you? Can you be told that you're wrong? Or are you the person that has a wall that not even God can? One more question. You have to be okay to be judged. Now, a lot of you are like, no, no one can judge me. I got the tattoo and I got the cup. <laughs> Don't want you to feel bad about the tattoo or the cup that you have. But if you read the rest of the letter of the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, we, we don't judge the world. We judge the church. So some of us have, I, I, can't be, I can't be rebuked by God or no one, and I can't be judged by anyone. We're a church family. We're a church community. We need to allow ourselves to be judged by the church. Well, how do we let the church? By the word of God and the, and the teachings of Jesus. The word of God becomes our standard too. Now look, why is Paul judging? He's not judging to throw them all out. And even when he does, he actually throws one person out. He makes a judgment, get rid of this person. But he finishes the judgment with, go ahead, deliver them over to Satan so that in the end their soul could be saved. So even, so, so even though we're going to kick them out for a little bit, it's in the end for them to come back to Christ. Literally makes a judgment. He goes, I already passed judgment on this. How come none of you are wise enough to keep this mess here? Judge it. Judge the matter. We're supposed to judge. 
So church, we're a community. We have to be okay with God rebuking us and, okay, this section over here. Can you be rebuked? Not, 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 from, not from me, from God. Some of us have these stone hearts. Can you be rebuked by God? And if you want to be part of the dwelling place church, you want to be part of the community, you have to be okay with being judged by that church according to the scriptures. Now, this could be the message that when we come back next week, there's only half of us here. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand, I'm going to stand okay in the word of God and you guys are going to back us up, right? We're a community of church. We got to be okay to be judged by God, be rebuked by God and judged by the church. This is the part that none of y'all like. Don't get in my business, pastor. I'm just going to come to the church. I'm going to sign Team 7. I'm going to give an offering, but don't get up in my business. I don't personally, we don't personally love, it's a headache to be in everybody's business. And when we do it, we're like, hey, can you call me? We need to talk. Hey, can you call me? We need to talk about your Instagram. Hey, can we talk? We found out about some jealousies or dissensions. We're not doing that because it's fun. We're doing that because we know, oh, those are the things that are coming out of the surface because there are things that are inside the heart. And if those things are spilling out in the open, then that means there's no new creation on the inside. And we need to be a church that is living in the new creation, living in the resurrection. So we have to judge. Some of y'all still don't like it. Fight and wrestling me like, you lucky I like you, Pastor. It's the only reason right, right now I'm accepting being judged by this church. This section over here. Can God rebuke you? Can he rebuke you? Or are you always right? Can the church judge you? Or are you always right? I'll make this fast. Section, don't think I left you guys out. I love you. Can God rebuke you? Can, the ch- can you be judged by the church? See, because this is not just about, they were a real church and a real family, and they really did life together, and they needed real leadership, and they needed real teaching, and they needed real exhortation when they did right. Paul told them when they did right, and when they did wrong, he told them when they did wrong. Why did it matter that much? Because Paul, Jesus, they knew that this is not real resurrection. This needs to be rebuked. This needs to be corrected. So that then Christ could take us and then he can fill us. He said, you received the spirit when you believed. He said, and he washed you. He said, you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and how? By his spirit. And when you allow and you surrender this pride, this greed, this sexual immorality, these evil thoughts over to the Lord, that's when you could begin to experience resurrection. And then we can say, then, then when we look at each other, we're not like, don't like her, don't like him, that guy's a hypocrite, that one's a hypocrite over there, that one's got an attitude, that one don't invite me. No, when we allow the Spirit of God, right, when we allow that old man to die as Christ died, then we could be filled by his Spirit, and then we could look at one another and say, look, therefore, there are new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. But it's, it's so hard to say that. When this is spilling outside of us. The Apostle Paul said this to the church of Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. Ah. Ah. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Christ is the ultimate one doing the atoning work. He's not saying he's been crucified to pay for his own sin. Christ said, but what he's saying is he's admitting that when, yes, what Christ did, I've allowed. I di- Look, when Christ died, I died. I let the old man die. I surrendered. I humbled myself. Is there anyone in here that needs to give this over to the Lord? Would you pass forward? Anyone feel? All right. Anyone feel they're not living in the resurrection? (laughs) Your life does not feel like resurrection. 
Would you just pass forward? And as you pass forward, I'm actually going to invite, I felt in my, in my heart, you could say in my spirit, for the worship team to minister over you now through song, through a song we already sang, but now with your heart open, with your mind open, with your spirit open, look, would you willing to be crucified with Christ, willing to give this over to the Lord? I want them to worship in song, and I want you just to hear, hear, hear their worship to give you faith right now, to give you strength. And then I'll pray, then I'll pray over you, amen? Help me worship team.